Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E.com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. I'm your host with the mostest, <laughs> Anne Louise Gittleman. And I want to thank my sponsor, Unikey Health at unikeyhealth.com, who specialize in weight loss, internal cleansing, targeted hormone support, skin care, and testing. So visit them, please, at unikeyhealth.com. And buckle up your seatbelt for Martha Carlin, who is my guest today, and she's a Parkinson's warrior, and she's the formulator of the groundbreaking Sugar Shift formula, which recently completed a clinical trial in diabetes and is used for Parkinson's. Martha Carlin, you are a Parkinson warrior. What sparked your interest in Parkinson's in the first place? Well, back in early 2002, um, I started noticing some some changes in my my husband John. He had a tiny little tremor in his finger, but probably the most noticeable thing I saw was he just had a very flat expression when he was um, looking at me, and he had previously really had a lot of life and energy in his facial expression, mm. um, and so I kind of intuitively picked up one of Michael J. Fox's books and started um, reading about his journey. And there were so many things in there that just kind of connected. It took most of that year to put the pieces together. But in November of 2002, John was formally uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at the young age of 44. Wow. Did they give any specific tests? I mean, I know you noticed all the signs, but did you do brain scans, MRIs, DAT scans? You know, they they didn't do any of that early on. The neurologist, in fact, um, kind of turned to me. He watched us walk to the um, examination room and uh, when John sat down, he looked at me and he said, you know exactly what I'm going to tell you. So before he even did the neurological exam, he could tell from the way John was walking down the hall. So does Parkinson's run in John's family? Where did this come from? So Parkinson's doesn't run in John's family, <laughs> excuse me, but Alzheimer's does. And there are some cross connections to mechanisms behind both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. John's father um, had Alzheimer's um, and was diagnosed, I think, in his late 50s or early 60s. And his mother also had signs of early dementia or actually later dementia and her sister as well. And then John has a sibling um, with some, uh, cognitive impairment. Wow. Why is Parkinson's on the rise? 
I understand it's the biggest neurological disease. The, the, the one with the largest uh, number of people lately. Why is that? Well, of course, I've, I've been looking at it for 20 years. And one of the uh, one of the early factors I started examining was um, the food supply and, you know, the potential impacts of how we're growing our food. Um, genetic modification of plants, the specific chemicals and things that are used on uh, the foods. I mean, it's taken me 20 years to piece together a lot of those pieces of the puzzle. But, um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with what we are putting into our bodies and what we're exposed to and how that sort of toxic cocktail of, um, you know, the Western diet and the chemicals that are used on it. And even more so um, in more recent decades is the increased use of uh, preservatives and anti-enzymatic um, food preservatives um, in order to preserve shelf life of prepackaged foods because we have so many prepackaged foods today. And of course, you know, you're they're trying to kill the bacteria on um on the food so that it will last longer. But of course the bacteria in our body is part of what helps us digest the food and, and access the nutrients that we need. And so if we keep eating things that are killing the bacteria, it's altering our internal ecosystem, which is really where I, the last seven years I've devoted a lot of my focused efforts on looking at the human microbiome and how that connects not only to Parkinson's, but to um, most of the chronic diseases we see on the rise. So what did you discover in 2014? I, I read that you, you noted that there was a connection between gut bacteria and two phenotypes of Parkinson's. Tell me about that research. So, well, earlier in 2014, I actually read a book by Dr. Martin Blazer called uh, Missing Microbes. And he was talking about the rise in what are called non-communicable diseases, um, allergy, asthma, um, diabetes, um, and the increased use of antibiotics. Um, you know, after the discovery of antibiotics, they kind of came into widespread spread use in the 1950s, which was when my husband was born, um, and then wider spread use in the food supply. Um, and so Dr. Blazer was connecting the use of antibiotics to the decline of important bacteria in our gut. And about six months later that year, Dr. Philip Shepperhans, a neurologist researcher uh, from Finland, published mm -hmm. the first paper that showed he could divide the two types of Parkinson's. One is primarily tremor dominant and the other is posture and gait dominant. And he was able to divide the groups of patient populations by the bacteria in their gut. Fascinating. And that was just a eureka for me. Yeah, that's a big eureka. So gut bacteria has a lot to do with Parkinson's is what you're saying. Yes, ma'am, it, it does have a lot to do with Parkinson's. And Alzheimer's, I would imagine. Yes, it does. And the, the research is really increasing exponentially 
um, and connecting those dots to um, different gut bacteria, different things going on in the ecosystem and, and um, how that is impacting the gut brain axis. And so what did you do with that research? You started looking at your husband's poop. Yes, in literally, fact, literally, yes, literally, <laughs> because the way you look at the microbiome is you take a sample, you take a stool sample, and then you send it for genetic sequencing to see what's there and do analytics around that. And, you know, John sometimes jokes, he's got the most examined poop on the planet, except for a few <laughs> what scientists. A, what a claim to fame, Martha. Yes, I think we've looked at uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 and, 130 to 150 of his samples over the course of time, um, working to connect those dots. So what did, what did you find? What was un unusual about his poop? Well, some of the, so, something sort of connected to his early life history. So there was more relative abundance of um, species of streptococcus. And he had had um, an early life history of multiple strep infections and repeated antibiotics. Mm. Um, and I actually went to 23andMe, the genomics company, and worked with them to do a data analytics project where they um, went back into their uh, study population and they were able to show a, a correlation, um, statistically increased risk of Parkinson's in people who had had four or more strep infections. Interesting. Is that basically strep throat or any other kind of strep induced infection? Well, I mean, the, the question I was asking was strep throat because people typically remember that in their childhood, but, you know, I think it would be any kind of strep infection. Um, it's an interesting organism. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of what are called, uh, you know, post-infectious sequelae to strep infections. That's, uh, can cause, uh, rheumatic heart problems. It, you know, it's a, it invades the tissues and can cause a lot of downstream, uh, effects even after, uh, most of the infection has been cleared. Interesting. So you found that there was imbalances in your husband's stool. I'm um, where where can people get this done if they fear that there's something like Parkinson's, which is on the rise? Well, when we when we first started our company, we were collecting samples and building out a biobank. We no longer do that. Um, and one of the more famous companies um, that was doing it is no longer around, but we work with a company called Nirvana Biome. Um, and their parent company uh, has done all of the sequencing of our sample database. And so we typically recommend that to people. There's also a company, I think it's called uh, Microbiome Labs. Um, that also has a report that you can get. Um, there's There are a couple of other companies, if you uh, consumer-based companies, but it's not quite as popular as it was five years ago when this was seemed to be the hottest topic out there. But you have a special probiotic you created. 
Yes, I did. So in in uh, 2016, I went to the World Parkinson's Congress and there was a group there presenting a research paper out of Israel showing that the sugar alcohol mannitol could mm-hmm. stop the aggregation of the proteins in an animal model and at higher doses could actually pull the proteins out of the brain of the animal. And I came back from that meeting, bought a mannitol chemistry book and started <laughs> reading about mannitol and kind of seeing what an amazing molecule it is in many ways. It's the most abundant um, sugar in nature and is um, in particular in plants that are under osmotic stress, um, succulents and desert plants. And uh, it helps uh, manage water flow. And um, so I, I found that there are a, a a handful of bacteria that actually produce mannitol from glucose and fructose and uh, sat down with a fermentation chemist friend of mine who came from the probiotics industry. And we came up with a concept for a working system, kind of a team or a factory of probiotic organisms that could convert glucose and fructose into mannitol in your gut and basically restore a little factory. And, you know, one of the other things I had noticed in many people with Parkinson's is that they had a sweet tooth, um, often really craving sweets. And my husband was in that category, loved carbohydrates, desserts, candy, sweets. Um, and, uh, so anyway, we, we prototyped, uh, this product for John, he was walking with a cane at, a, at the time and having trouble navigating cloud, uh, crowds. And, uh, he took it for a month and we were measuring his microbiome, but within a week we could see that his walking was better. He was walking without a cane after 30 days. And, you know, we watched his gut continue remodeling for up to 120 days when we stopped, uh, measuring it. And then after that, we just started having friends and family try it and, you know, more people telling us how it helped them with sugar cravings. Some people lost weight. Um, You know, there, there were just a number of different mechanisms in terms of improved energy, better sleep. Um, And so we brought it to market um, under the name BiotiQuest Sugar Shift um, in the summer of 2020. So what makes this different than any other probiotic, your sugar shift? Well, most most probiotics on the market come from just a handful of producers and there's a very limited diversity in the strains that are offered. So if you went to a store and you saw the big section of probiotics there, about 90 to 95% of those would all be pretty similar. And the strains are coming from the same three manufacturers. So we actually went out and found um, the mannitol producing bacteria ourselves um, and took those through, uh, you know, the process of testing and having them produced for us. So we have some very unique strains that are ours. We also have um, another pretty unique strain from a company called Deerland, uh, 
um, that's called Bacillus subtilis that is a soil-based organism. Um, and that's actually been shown in uh, separate research from the University of Edinburgh that that species um, in animal models uh, reduced tremor. So, you know, ours is unique in that we've built a working system and then we built a computational model to predict how they would work together as a team. And then we did um, testing in humans before and after to see that the metabolic function that we were restoring was actually present in the, um, in the microbiome samples in greater abundance after taking the probiotic. So who should take sugar shift? Is it people that think that they've got a Parkinsonian type manifestation? What about people with diabetes? So actually, um, we have just completed a trial in diabetes and have a publication coming out. Um, it, it's interesting as well in some data I looked at from a large hospital system that um, metabolic components, type two diabetes, and sometimes Parkinson's and Alzheimer's are called type three diabetes. Mm -hmm. So any of this, you know, metabolic disruption, um, the product would be beneficial for that. We also did a small study um, with people who had IBS um, and found that we were able to move reduce the species of bacteria in the microbiome samples of people with IBS um, taking the product. So I think it's it's overall a very beneficial as a general gut health product, um, kind of restoring the ecosystem, if you will. In our clinical trial, we showed an improvement, increase in uh, bifidobacteria and Fecali prosnitiae, which are both have both been shown to be uh, beneficial organisms that are reduced in a number of diseases, Parkinson's being one of those. Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health at unikeyhealth.com, which is your universal key to health since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fat Blasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the ultimate brain support and the magnesium multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. I find that so interesting. So your husband takes sugarship to this day? He does. And then, um, you know, another sort of interesting piece of the puzzle, um, there's a, a, a group of people who make yogurt with the uh, probiotic based on um, some of the work of uh, Dr. William Davis, who wrote Wheat Belly and Supergut. And I, I got a call from a customer who her neighbor had had COVID and he had, he experienced very severe Parkinson's-like symptoms after having had COVID. And she said, well, I thought, well, maybe I'll make this yogurt for him. Um, and because you get a really high count of the, of the organisms, if you do that, and so she reported back to me that his symptoms had dissipated after about 30 days. 
of taking a half a cup of the yogurt every day. And John, my husband, had COVID last December and had a lot of long-term impacts um, from his bout with COVID. And we started making the yogurt with it. And, um, you know, as a part of a number of other things we were doing to try to get him back to where he was before. And um, he seemed to have more improvement with the higher dosing from the yogurt as well. So tell me about the yogurt a little bit. So he takes sugar shift and this yogurt, which is made from a certain, a certain strain. So, well, the yogurt, we make the yogurt with the capsules of our sugar shift. So, oh, now I see. So take us through that, please. So, um, and, you know, Dr. Davis's program, they, they make a high fat yogurt. Um, fat does also seem to be something that is important to the cell membranes and, and maybe um, not working as well in people with Parkinson's. So we use half and half. We take a quarter, half and half and four capsules of the sugar shift, um, mix that up. Uh, Dr. Davis's people sometimes will put some extra inulin in it. I don't put extra inulin in it. Um, and it, then you take organic half and half, half milk and half cream. Yes. Organic half and half. And you, you have to be careful. Actually, I was recently looking for um, half and half and cream um, to make a batch of yogurt. And so much of the, um, of these dairy products, half and half and cream have polysorbate 80 and carrageenan in them, mm -hmm. um, which you don't want. Um, these emulsifiers um, can also damage the microbiome. Um, but so, you know, you take the organic, nothing else added, just the, the cream and in, in the milk or half and half and um, mix in four capsules of the, you know, open up the capsule and sprinkle it in, stir it up cover it up with, I, I cover it up with plastic and just put it in my oven at room temperature. A lot of the people in Dr. Davis's group have the yogurt makers and you want to keep it below a temperature of 105 degrees because there's a strain of lactobacillus ruteri in the uh, mixture, which is a very important organism and one of the mannitol producers. And um, that doesn't do as well above temperatures of 105 degrees. So when you do that for 36 hours, you get a nice thick yogurt. I put it in a glass jar and put it in the refrigerator and we have half a cup a day. So can you do this with coconut milk and coconut cream, I wonder? So there are some people that do it with coconut milk and coconut cream. Um, there are there are some tricks to that. I actually think um, Dr. Davis probably has some tips on that because a lot of his people um, make the- Are dairy intolerant, I would imagine. Are dairy intolerant. But I think the dairy intolerance also goes to not having the gut bacteria that break down the dairy. Oh, most definitely. So sugar shift is the foundational formula. What else does John do? Does he take that Parkinson's medication, L-DOPA? He does take L-DOPA. He's actually down to a, a lower dose than he was at, at his uh, kind of maximum. Um, 
but he does he does take the L-dopa. We've we've talked on a number of occasions about how to think about getting off of that, but um, you know, it's it's pretty difficult once you go down the path of taking those drugs to not take it. We did do some testing at one point. There's a uh, natural L-dopa called mecunapurines. And uh, there's another researcher who was working on a formulation of that. And we tried it, but that actually was, uh, that formula was too strong for John and too excitatory, I would say. Interesting. What about the V1 therapy that's been talked about by Italian neurologists, which actually makes dopamine? V1 is a precursor to dopamine. I, did, I never knew that. So we have um, followed that research and John does take uh, a couple of different B1 supplements. I think one is called allithymine and the other one is benfotamine. Mm-hmm. Um, the B vitamins are, uh, most of the B vitamins are actually made by gut bacteria. And that's another sort of, I guess a lot of people don't realize uh, that many of our vitamins are actually made in the factory of our gut. Um, There's a a neurologist, I think her name is Gominac, who has um, a website, I think it's called Sleep Right or something like that, um, who's done a lot of writing about the gut loss of the gut bacteria and the inability to make B vitamins and how you need to support production of the B vitamins until you can get those uh, bacteria restored. It's interesting too. I was um, actually just listening to a different podcast where they were talking about the impact of um Glyphosate, and this was an agricultural podcast, but they were uh, talking about how it binds cobalamin. And of course, some of those B vitamins um, are, um, cobalamin is is critical to the production of some of those B vitamins. Very much so, B12 specifically. So take me through a typical day of what John does and what he takes. Does he exercise a certain amount every day? He does exercise. John was actually very early in adopting the research of Jay Alvers at the Cleveland Clinic, um, where they showed that um, exercising on a stationary bike at a 80 RPMs uh, for one hour a day, three times a week, could reduce the symptoms by up to 35%. And so John does stationary biking three to four days a week. Um, He walks. um, Now, since we've moved, he lost his trainer. He was doing strength training, uh, but we have to find a new trainer in our area to get back to the strength training regime. But the, the exercise has definitely been very important to his overall outcome. And what about his diet? Um, his diet, you know, it took him, I would say about three years to finally kick the sugar carbohydrate habit. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So was he a big sweets eater, fruit eater? When you talk about carbohydrates, what are you referring to? Um, he loves sweets, but we didn't always have sweets around. But so anytime we were out somewhere, he wanted to order dessert. Um, 
but really more carbohydrates like pasta, um, wheat, fruits. Um, you know, he could eat tons of bananas a day, which are high glycemic. Um, you know, it's interesting too, because John was a marathon runner and, um, marathon runners, you know, back in the day, I think they do less of this now, but we're very much trained on carbo loading and that whole process converts the body into a carbohydrate machine rather than one of metabolic flexibility. And so I think, you know, they lose their metabolic flexibility in terms of, um, digesting and using, you know, proteins and fats, um, and get hooked on the carbohydrate high, I will say. So, you know, that, that's probably the, the big thing was just, he was a pasta lover. And of course, then past most of the pasta, uh, and the wheats, we later found out he, he had a number of the, um, gluten and gliadin antibodies. Um, and so getting him off of all wheat, uh, had a big, big difference as well. And then all of those grain products, well, not all of them, but many of the grain products have heavy glyphosate residues because they're, it's used to desiccate the crop at the end of harvest to make the, the, um, harvest more uniform. Which um, ones in particular, Martha? We know about wheat, wheat, rye, oats, barley. Wheat, wheat, rye, oats, barley, lentils, chickpeas. Um, I mean, a, lo- a lot of things that aren't what you would think of as t- typical grains. There are 60 different crops now that use glyphosate as a desiccant um, in that uh, drying process at the end of harvest. Even if it, they're non-GMO? Yes, I believe that is uh i believe that is acceptable i i would need to double check that but um i think that is the case wow so what does he have for breakfast um well that's been tricky of late because we've we've actually been trying a low sulfur diet so used to have a lot of eggs for breakfast um but there's been some more recent research on disrupted sulfur metabolism. So we've been trying a lower sulfur diet. Um, we've actually followed not to the T, but to a pretty good extent, the walls protocol, Terry walls diet, mm-hmm. um, which is very nutrient dense, um, higher fat, lower carb, um, and so a lot of times we'll have one of the walls protocol smoothies, which is, you know, coconut milk, uh, a cup of fruits, some vegetables, uh, you know, a a Brazil nut to get your minerals and your zinc and selenium. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, uh, some specific spices that she recommends. So um, we do those quite a bit for breakfast. And lunch? Lunch, um, you know, again, I will oftentimes make the bigger meal um, during the day and we'll, you know, we'll follow some of those walls protocol, um, higher fat uh, recipes that are low carb. Um, and does try he, to just eat. What is his blood type, by the way? 
His blood type is O positive. Have you seen a connection between blood type and Parkinson's? I I have looked um, more broadly. Actually, there's a, a researcher at the University of North Carolina who um, shows the different blood types and infection susceptibility. There is some research kind of showing different infections that you're more susceptible to uh, and the connection to Parkinson's. I can't remember, but I want to say there is an O positive connection, but I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. But what, what was interesting to me in Susan Sumner's work is um, gram negative bacteria produce something called lipopolysaccharide, which is highly inflammatory. And there is a Parkinson's animal model where they induce Parkinson's by injecting lipopolysaccharide into the mouse. Mm. I'm like, well, okay, why aren't you asking yourself how this is happening in the human body? And Mm. if you look at Susan Sumner's work and the susceptibility by blood type, um, you know, some of those lipopolysaccharide uh, are you know, produce antigens that can cause problems. There's also, you know, organisms that produce um, hemagglutin antigens to the uh, hemagglutins in the blood. So it's, there's a lot of interesting factors around blood type and infection and how that could tie to the microbiome and risk of disease like Parkinson's. So how do people get in touch with you and your product, Sugar Shift? And is there anything else on the docket besides Sugar Shift? Well, we do have we do have other products. So we have an immune product um, that has some of the base formula of Sugar Shift. Um, we recommend that to people who eat out a lot or foreign travel. It has uh, a particular strain of bacteria that's uh, very effective at... Um, killing pathogens like listeria and E. coli and salmonella. Um, And uh, we have uh, one called the antibiotic antidote, which was designed for, you know, people who've either had a lot of antibiotics exposure in their life or have recently had antibiotics where it, it starts to restore the balance so that you can repopulate with a broader uh, bacteria in the gut. Um, we have a cardiovascular product that helps with nitric oxide production. And we are, um, we have a sleep product, um, that helps, um, with sleep. We do tell people, you know, don't take six probiotics all at once. Um, these are designed as working systems and they should be taken at least two hours apart from each other. So you don't interfere with how the system works. Um, and then we have a new, electrolyte um, probiotic mixture um, that we're bringing to market in the first quarter called Revive and Thrive because there have been so many people with um, uh, electrolyte imbalance and uh, things like postural orthopods, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome seems to uh, be a long-term side effect of people who've had um, COVID. Um, and so we're uh, bringing an electrolyte probiotic product to market because uh, those are two things that have been shown to help uh, improve people's um, 
POTS symptoms. So how do people get in touch with you, Martha? So people can get in touch with me um, through the website, um, which is bioticquest.com. That's B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T.com. Um, they can also contact me. Um, I mean, I, I answer my own phone. So if people actually have a question and they want to call me, they can call me. My phone number is 303 Six three eight one two two six. Now that um, is a Colorado number, but you are on the East Coast now. I am on the East Coast now, although I do spend um, time back and forth. Um, and then um, my email is um, Martha dot Carlin at thebiocollective.com. and that's T H E B I O C O L L E C T I V E dot com. So parting words for our listening audience. Well, what I would say is there's a lot you can do to reduce your, reduce your risk of disease. And that all starts with gut health, um, taking care of your internal ecosystem, uh, watching what you're putting in. We are made of what we eat and then restoring that ecosystem with the right kind of support, uh, probiotics, um, tackling if you have, uh, you know, something like SIBO or some sort of pathogen, um, you've got to address that, but really focusing on your gut health and getting that right is going to have a huge impact on your mental clarity, on your sleep and on your risk of, um, disease. Excellent message as we move into 2023. Will you come back, Martha Carlin? I'd be happy to come back. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I want to thank my lovely guest, Martha Carlin, the Parkinson's warrior. And I want to thank you, my listeners, for making us one of the number one podcasts in our category. Tune in next week, First Lady of Nutrition. Have a wonderful week of health, happiness. Shalom. Shalom of Raham, my dear friends. please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.